Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. So what direction are you headed in life? What direction are you headed? Three weeks ago, four weeks ago, we started and asked the question, who are you really? Talk about your identity in Christ. And we said, what is your life about? Ought to be about the Lord. And then who is your life about? Is it about you, self, or is it about the Lord? And today I want to ask you, and the scripture is going to ask you, what direction are you headed in life? Where are you going? Now, in one sense, we think, we think where we're going, where we're headed in life, we kind of think, well, when I die, I'm headed to heaven because I received Jesus as my Savior, right? And, and maybe if that's a new thought to you, those of you here today or those of you who are watching, uh, we're talking about recognizing that we've all sinned against God and that God is a holy God and he must judge sin. And if we die... Never having taken care of that, we will be judged for our sin, which will be for all eternity in hell. But God loved us so much that he sent his son into the world. Uh, his, uh, he lived a perfect, sinless life, dies on the cross for us, paying that penalty for our sins, rising again from the dead. And then he says to us that if we will acknowledge that we've sinned and that we need a savior, that he is who he says he is, he is the Lord, that we can then place our faith in him to be savior and to, to, to come into our lives and, and be the Lord of our lives. And the Bible says when we do that, that every sin gets forgiven, that we receive eternal life, and this life ends, we go to heaven to be with the Lord, and then God himself moves in and begins changing us in good ways from the inside out. And so when we've settled that issue, we say, well, I know where I'm going. I come to the end of my life, I know I'm going to heaven. And what a blessing it is that you can know that, isn't it? Okay. And so you can know that. But what about now? Where's your life headed right now? How you're living your life here today. And so we get this idea, okay, we're headed somewhere. You know, it's eternal. Peter talked about this. He was actually talking about what's going to happen with the, the whole universe and how God is going to remake it all. He's going to, to, to burn this one up and restart. And we get to be in that new new heavens and new earth, all that. But he says this, he said, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, and then here's the question, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? In other words, these truths about where we're heading eternally ought to affect how we live now. Because that's true, how do we live now? And so that's why I'm asking you the question today, where are you headed in life? And our passage today is going to help us to, to uh, come to grips with some things we need to understand as well as do. So let's take our Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 1, page 1353 in the Bible that's under the chairs. And if you don't have a Bible, we always encourage you to grab that one and follow along. It'll be helpful to you. Verse 19 of chapter 1. And before we start reading that, we, we just come out of this, these uh, verses up above. We're told what he's done for us. He's qualified us. He's forgiven us. And that he is over all things. And he is to be preeminent in all things. 
And then verse 19, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Talking about Jesus. And by him, Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so in this passage, when we're thinking about where we're headed in life, there's some things we need to know. And so verse 19 asks, uh, tells us who Jesus is, tells us something about him, who Jesus is. Verse 20, what Jesus has done and is doing. And then verse 21, what Jesus has saved us from. And then where Jesus has already brought us and is still taking us. Verse 22 and then verse 23, how we can cooperate with Jesus so that our lives are headed in the right direction. So let's, let's dig down into this and understand the things that, that we need to understand. Verse 19 again. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. So he's talking to us here about who Jesus is, who he is. Uh, interesting thing, that pleased the Father that in him, in Jesus, all the fullness, and he's talking about the fullness of God, should dwell. Because uh, in John chapter one, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And that, talking about Jesus, is describing actually the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. And we know that because down in verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh. Okay, talking about Jesus. Okay, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so Jesus came into the world. But before he became the man Jesus, who was he? The Word. He's the Son of God from all eternity. He's still the Son of God. Okay? But in our verse here today, it says, it used that same English word, the idea of dwell. It pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. But it's a little different concept than this, what we got from John. Because when John said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, the Greek word that's translated there comes from, uh, originally from the word tent, and it means that he set up his tent here. He came and pitched his tent among us. By the way, the Bible refers to all of us that way, our bodies, that our bodies are like a tent that's set up for us, and then someday the tent gets put away. And we go to wherever we are prepared to go whether to the Lord because we receive Christ or to hell because we have not. And so it's this idea, it's, it's temporary. Jesus came, the Son of God came for a while, didn't he? In a little over 30 years, that's what he came for. He came and pitched his tent among us and then he, he left. This word that is used for dwell here, the English word dwell, is a different Greek word. Because it doesn't even make sense if you think of it. But for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should temporarily dwell. While he was here, yeah, no, no. And we're going to see in a minute, but this is one of the things that, a heresy that was going around 
the area of Colossae and was affecting the Christians. But it's not. The word that's translated dwell here comes from the root word for a house. And it's the idea of permanence. Permanently dwelling. And so when Jesus, when the, excuse me, when the Son of God became the man Jesus, all right, was he human? Okay, I want you, we're going to open up a little file here today. This is theological thoughts, okay? And that way you can refile it when you're done and you'll have it there when you need it. Yes, the Bible is very clear that he became human like us. Okay, the only difference between us and him is, is that he didn't have a sin nature. He didn't have a sinful nature. In his spirit, he was very much righteous and holy and alive to God, okay? But it tells us something. Do you realize that being human, I mean, we think being human means being sinful. True? Yes. We think that, right? But in reality, what it really means to be human is not sinful because when Adam and Eve were created, were they sinful? No, they weren't. See, so Jesus became a human being, completely human. So, you know, experienced the temptations that we experienced, but he did not sin. All kinds of be perfectly human. But when he became a human, was he still God? So he was half human and half God. No, 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 the Bible's quite clear. He was completely human and completely God. If you want a fancy word for that, it's called the hypostatic union. Okay? Anyway, so he was fully God, fully man. And so this verse is telling us that when he became a man, that it pleased the Father that what? That all the fullness of God would dwell in him as a man as well as him being the Son of God. And so this, this was counteracting some of the beliefs, the false beliefs that, that Jesus, well, let me say, there was this idea that was growing at the time that the physical world was at best irrelevant. And at worst it was evil. Okay? And so that even the idea of a physical body, it's just, well, you know, it's, it is what it is. <laughs> and you didn't have to worry about it. You could do whatever you wanted with your body because it's all passing away. It doesn't matter. By the way, there was a, there's a cult, and I think it still exists within our region here, who has taught their, their people this idea that your body is irrelevant. You know, it's, it's sinful, it's going to die, and it doesn't matter. And so guess what? You can do whatever you want. And uh, it's a lie, of course. But anyway, so this idea that, that Jesus, that, the, that God himself became a man and that in this man Jesus was the fullness of God as well. And this belief was uh, contrary to that. And so Paul, throughout Colossians, is bumping up against this and addressing it when he's trying to say, no, Jesus is sufficient. Let's look real quick at what some of those beliefs were. Three, three key beliefs that he was pushing back against. The false we said, deny that the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily in Christ. They said, no, 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 no. But Paul said, yes, 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 yes. Okay? And then it denied that the Christian was complete in Christ. Well, yeah, Christ is good. Add Christ to your life. Good idea, but you need more than that. Okay? And then it tried to supplement Christ's finished work. So what he did, it wasn't enough. And so we're going to introduce some other ways to heighten your spirituality. And here are some of the things that, he, uh, that this belief was trying to supplement the work of Christ with. Circumcision. Bring the old Mosaic law back in. You've got to be circumcised. Now, focus on spiritual principalities and powers. This is 
the, um, the spirit world, okay, that somehow you need to connect. This led to worship of angels. They, they believed that, yeah, Jesus was important. He was one of these beings that we needed to connect with, but there's a lot more. And if we connect with them, that's where we're really going to get the wisdom and learn how to live and really have a heightened spirituality. Then those are saying, well, no, no, you got to be careful. What you eat and what you drink really matters. You know, going back again to the idea of under the law, you can't eat this, you can't drink that. You, and then the new moons, the Sabbaths, all the holidays, all the feasts. We've got to add that back in because Jesus isn't enough. And then I, I call this one ostentatious humility. That sounds kind of like what? An oxymoron a little bit? Ostentatious means when you're trying to show other people and make sure that other people see your humility. That is an oxymoron, isn't it? Because humility doesn't look for other people to see. But this is the idea of, well, I'm so humble and I'm humble myself and I act in humble ways. And what this led to was what ascetic regulations, you know, ascetic where you're denying yourself, don't touch these things, don't eat that thing, to where they would really just totally neglect the body. Again, because what's the body is, it's evil, right? So all these false beliefs Paul is pushing up against, and he's saying, no, no, no. Jesus is, he did, he was completely God in the flesh, and that Jesus is sufficient. That in all things, he might have the preeminence, that he would come first in all these things, because he indeed is sufficient. And, and although our text isn't saying this here, it just hit me as I was studying this and thinking about how, you know, what's being said here, it's the truth, that when Jesus isn't enough, nothing will be enough. When Jesus isn't enough, nothing will be enough. Which is why if you say, well, yes, Jesus, and then plus whatever, that plus whatever will never be enough. You'll have to become more radical, right? More extreme. It's got, you know, it's not going to work. Then in our own lives, when it comes to us as believers in our lives, if Jesus is not enough for us, and as if we have a relationship with the Lord and all that goes along with that, if that's not enough for us, well, I, what I really need is I need some more money. Now, anybody here today can say, I could use some more money? Yeah. I could put it to good use, right? Give me a few million, I can put it to good use, okay? But if, if you think I have to have that to be okay... I have to have that money to be secure. I have to have that money to be important because Jesus isn't really enough. Guess what? That money will never be enough. And this can be true in your relationships with people. If you're trying to get from people, you man, Jesus, enough, I need this person in my life. Man, that leads to all sorts of ugly places. Um, this job, this position, anything. So just let, let this really settle. This, this thought I want to settle in your, in your, know it in your mind and let it settle in your heart. When Jesus isn't enough, nothing will be enough. And then look at your life. Is there anything in my life that I feel like, yeah, I can't lose that. I'll be in trouble. I won't, you know. Jesus is enough, all right? And, and, and evaluate as you, you make decisions in life. You come to a point in life where there's something that's really been important to you and matters and you want to do it and you want to have it or whatever it is. But to do so, you would have to set aside what the Lord says. This is the point you're at, see? You've got to remember, wait, wait a minute. If Jesus isn't enough here, that's not going to be enough either. So start with Jesus. He's enough. And then work 
out into your life from there. All right, let's look at verse 20. So in 19, it pleased the Father, that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So we see here what Jesus has done and is doing. Okay? Um, it uses this word reconcile. Let's look at the word again. And by him to reconcile all things to himself. Now, this idea of reconciling, if you and I have a problem with each other, something's happened, I did something, okay, I'll take the blame. <laughs> something between you and me and I did something or whatever and, and it's a problem. How many of us does it take to reconcile? Both of us, doesn't it? Okay. Well, one person could say, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to remove all that stuff. I'm not going to let that be an obstacle anymore. Okay, you can take it away. But the other person isn't willing. There's no reconciliation, right? Okay. And so when we think about our salvation, the way this works, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it talks about it. It says that when Christ was hanging on the cross and, and this, the penalty for our sin was put on him, and he died in our place, paying that penalty for our sins. The Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. But now think about the world. Does the world know the Lord? I mean, there are people out there who do, but overall, does the world know the Lord? No, they don't know the Lord. They're out there doing their own thing. Sometimes they're very sincere, doing their best. Other times they're wicked and doing their own thing. doesn't matter, but they don't know and they aren't responding. But on God's side, he has already what? removed every obstacle to this reconciliation. And that's why we need to share the gospel with them. They need to know this so that they can then turn to the Lord, like I talked about in the very beginning today, and, and, and humble themselves before God and receive Jesus as Savior. Okay, so it's reconciled. Now here it's talking about, uh, it's talking about that, but it's also talking about a bigger reconciliation. Two things, this word reconciled, it's, it's the regular Greek word for reconciled, and then it has a prefix on it. And the prefix is there to intensify it. Really talking about this is, if I were talking about this, reconcile, and then there's reconcile. Okay? But guess what? This word has another prefix added to it, which means reconcile. You get the idea? The Holy Spirit through Paul is trying to emphasize it, that Jesus is going to, this is where it's headed, he is going to reconcile everything that needs to be reconciled. And uh, now, angelic beings have already made their choices. That's how that is. The ones, Satan and demons, they've already made their choices. And he's not going to reconcile them. But he's going to reconcile everything that needs to be reconciled. You know, the, the whole universe has been affected by Adam's sin. And ours. And so this sin cut this wide swath of damage. It's like if you went down and charted where Ian, Hurricane Ian went through and the, the damage that it did. See, sin did that in the universe, in our world, in us. And so Jesus, by dying on the cross, is put himself in a position to be able to reconcile all of that back to where it's supposed to be. Anybody have, let me ask, anybody this week, did you have any mechanical device 
break down or stop working the way it's supposed to? Anybody? Oh, right back there, right here, right there. Yep, okay. Why is that? It's the curse of sin on creation. Things break down. You never got a, bought a car that got better after you drove 100,000 miles. <laughs> See, our creation, and I, God, I don't think he's all that worried about the cars, but the idea is it's what's going on in the creation itself. Not only is he going to reconcile to himself everybody who will choose to believe in Jesus, but everything that's been affected by sin, he's bringing it back. This is where we're headed. Isn't that good news? Yes. You know, so I uh, worked in my backyard yesterday and I blew a bunch of leaves out of the way and then I raked acorns and then I mowed the lawn twice and <laughs> then we went and played disc golf. And I got up this morning, sort of. <laughs> oh, oh, hey, oh, uh, uh, eh, eh, eh. When Jesus is done reconciling everything, that won't be an issue anymore. See, we won't break down. It's not going to be that way. And so all of the people who are getting saved, he's going to reconcile. He's going to reconcile. And all of creation, he's going to reconcile. Isn't that good news? Amen. Such good news. So he's putting it all back together the way that it should be. All right, let's continue. Verse 21. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. Okay, so we see we have already been reconciled in our relationship with him. There's lots of other stuff that still has to be reconciled and it will be in the future when he finishes the job. But you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. So this tells us what Jesus saved us from. And really he saved us from ourselves ourselves and the destructiveness of sin in our lives. That's what he saved us from. But let's look at these three things. Alienated, enemies in your mind, and wicked works. This uh, idea of alienated, um, if we're talking about someone who is in a country that they are not a citizen of, what could we refer to them as? Aliens, and we don't mean people from outer space, right? Um, but he says, that's what we were, alienated. This is, that's the word that this is about. It's, it's we were strangers, foreigners. We weren't part of God's kingdom. Was there a time when you weren't part of God's kingdom? Before you came to Jesus, remember we saw up above, you were under the power of darkness, and he brought you into his kingdom. So before we got saved and we were in need of being saved, we were alienated. We were non-participants in the things of God and had no claim upon them. Then we were enemies in our minds. You know, I think sometimes we think, well, I was never an enemy of God. But the real idea is, is behind this idea of enemies is that there was a hostility there on your part. And that hostility was to yielding the reins of your life to anybody else. It's about self, wasn't it? We talked about it last week, flesh. And that's where every one of us were at. You may not have consciously hated God or anything or wanted to be an enemy of his, but in reality, uh, where you were at, you were doing your own thing and you weren't real happy with anybody telling you you should do otherwise. Right? Don't we want to self-direct our lives? Are you guys with me there? Does it make sense? 
That's what started in the, the garden, right? That's what Satan said to Adam and Eve. What did he say? You can direct your own life here. You don't have to do this God's way. And so we were enemies in our minds. And then by wicked works. And this is the idea of just living those things out. This is, you know what one of the hard things about sharing the gospel with people today is? They don't feel like they're sinners. They don't feel like they failed before God. Oh, I might have some things in my life that aren't exactly what they ought to be, perfect, but you know, what's the big deal? Everybody's like that. But when he says here, our wicked works, let me tell you, go back in the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, one place it talks about, it talks about a couple different things that are sin, and it includes this. It says the plowing of the wicked person is sin. How is that? In other words, when this, this person who doesn't know the Lord and is living for self and doing their own thing, they go out and plow their field. The scripture says that that is sin. How is that sin? Well, it's not sin in and of itself. There's nothing evil about plowing. What's evil about it is a person who is not submitted to God and is doing their own thing separate from God. Now, do you understand how the, everything when you don't know the Lord becomes wicked works? Because they aren't done for the right reasons. And so we need to remember that's where we were. And if that's a new thought to you, that's okay. But let it sink in. You were doing your own thing in rebellion against God, even if you weren't consciously thumbing your nose at God. You needed a Savior. You were an alien. You were outside. You weren't part. There was a hostility in your mind to anybody telling you anything besides what you wanted to think and do and believe. And then it led to wicked works, works that weren't submitted to God. Man, we needed a savior, didn't we? And we were more messed up than we realized. By the way, that's why you're still messed up. Because you're working your way out of this. God has come inside, he's moved inside and he's working. He's helping you to, helping you to identify things that, wait, I believe that, that isn't right, you know, or I do this, but that really doesn't fit, or whatever. He's working on you. But good, 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 good news for you. When talk about what Jesus did for us, when he reconciled us and where he's taking us, there are three Ps, okay, that he saved us from. He's saving us from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. When Jesus died for us and then we received him as Savior, he saved us from the penalty of sin. Never again, right, do we have to worry about having to pay for our sins because Jesus paid for them in full. Second thing he did, though, is when he moved in and he gave us a brand new nature deep down inside, and it's deep, and we got to let God work it up into our lives, he, he delivered us from the power of sin. Can we choose to follow Jesus? Yes, yes you can. Before you're saved, you can't live for the Lord. But once you're saved, and he's in, you can. So he's freed you from the power of sin. And this last one, well, let me see, Paul, the Apostle Paul in chapter, Romans chapter 7 says that when I find in this law, this experience, that when I want to do what's right, sin is present. It's present. It's always there, ready to, you know, push me over the edge and for me to believe the wrong thing. Sin is present. Oh, there's coming a day when he will deliver us from the very presence of sin. Oh, that's good news. 
That'll happen either when you, know, you reach the end of your life and you breathe your last and you, you, you enter into the presence of the Lord. I think there's going to be such a load off of us that we don't even know. <laughs> hey, Bill, you're looking for that load to be lifted. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's going to be lifted. Just the sin-cursed world that we live in, it will be lifted off of us, free from the presence of sin. All right, let's move on. Verse 22. He says, of course, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. So this is where he's taking us, okay? Holy, blameless, and above reproach. Um, this idea of holy, go ahead and go to that if you would, Silas. And let me say one more thing. It adds in his sight. In his sight. And when you and I look at these things, we may not see them. And I say right away. But God sees it. This is what Jesus did for us. And that's why I said where Jesus has brought us and is still taking us. Because here's the deal. We, when we receive Jesus as Savior, like I said, he came and he put that new nature in us. And he's there with it. He made us holy. And what does holy mean? You know, if you grew up in a church that had a lot of ritual in it and, and buildings, you know, fancy, you might kind of connect holiness with that in your mind. I understand that, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about inside you and what you're like, that you have been made holy. Now, does that mean you're living holy yet? No, that's a work in progress. But in God's sight, you're holy. That's the way he sees you, okay? Because you're in Christ. What good news that is. I want to try to live that way, see? That's why I'm motivated to do that. This idea of blameless is that, uh, let me see how how I write this down here. That's right. We are blameless because, 2 Corinthians 5, which I referenced earlier, but it says that Christ became sin for us. He took our sin and became, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When you receive Jesus' Savior, you got credited to your account Jesus' righteousness. And how well did he do? Perfectly, right? And so you're blameless. When God looks at you, I mean, you know all your sins, right? And you're trying to forget them, but God says, I already forgot them. By the way, God is cool like that. He doesn't mean he doesn't know, but he can choose to forget and still know. But he doesn't even hold it against you, right? I've forgotten those. Don't worry about those things. And then above reproach. This means that you cannot be found guilty. You can't be found guilty. And there's your enemy, Satan, wants you to be found guilty. He's an accuser of the brethren, the Bible tells us. He accuses us before God, and, and God's like, nope, nope, no evidence here. It's gone. What a change Jesus made in our lives. Now, what we need to do is believe that, don't we? We need to believe that and live that way. And that's kind of what takes us to this next idea of where we're headed. And so verse 23 tells us how we can cooperate with Jesus so that our lives continue to be headed in the right direction. Verse 23. So it says, he's already done this thing and this is how he sees us. And and we're going to experience that now and in the future. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith. 
grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. And Paul says, which was preached to every creature under heaven, which I, Paul, became a minister. And again, that's it back, pushing back on the Colossians and about what the gospel is. But the first half of that verse, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. This is not talking about, oh, you will be holy and blameless and above reproach if you continue doing these things. No, you will experience more and more in your life what it means to be holy. You will experience more and more in your life what it means to be blameless, have Christ's righteousness. You will experience more and more in your life. There's no guilt here. You will experience that more and more in your life if you continue in the faith. And if you continue being grounded and steadfast. You see how that, what he's telling us? So what is this about? So these three things, continuing in faith, he says. You're going to experience the reality of these things when you continue in faith and when you are increasingly grounded and steadfast in your faith and when you choose not to move away from your faith. So uh, let's talk about each of these individuals. So the idea of continuing in your faith. We might say things like, we might use different, we might say keep growing in your faith, right? Keep living by your faith, whatever, but to continue in it. Uh, three, three ideas here. One is growing in knowledge. Because the Bible says here, the faith. Part of that is, it is your faith, but it's more than that. It's the faith that the Lord delivered to us. It means all the things that he's told us are true. All the things that are true about what he's done. The faith. So you continue. You've got to keep growing in knowledge. And you're doing that here today. For some of you today, this idea that, wait a minute, I am already holy. I'm already blameless. I'm already above reproach. That's how God sees me. You learn that and you let it start to sink in. You go, Wow, I guess I could change the way I think about things. Anybody here today burdened, and don't raise your hand, anybody here today just weighed down heavily by guilt from your past? I mean, if you sin today, you'll probably feel some guilt. But God's not holding the guilt. That's just telling you, you need to do something about it. Okay? But you start believing, you understand. So you can, you've got to keep growing in knowledge. Secondly, you, you want to make decisions that match your faith. So I have a decision to make, you know. What am I going to do? I, I got a paycheck. What am I going to do with this paycheck? What does God want me to do? What's he want me to use to pay bills? What's he want me to use to buy groceries? What's he want me to do to save? What's he want me to give? What does he want me to do with all this? And, and make decisions that match what you say you believe. And what's that mean? Well, who gave you that money? My boss. Yeah. Who enabled your boss to give you that money? Who let you have the job? Who's keeping you healthy to work? Right, you see what I'm saying? So you're thinking, it comes from God. Okay, God has provided this for me. Can I trust God to do what he says I should do with it? Yeah, I can trust God to do So I can. So see, you're going to be making decisions that match your faith. And then beginning to respond to life like a Christian. Okay? So when uh, literally... And this isn't going to happen probably for any of you, but when literally you're talking to someone and they don't like you and they're mad at you and they slap you across the face. Now, you're old, alienated, hostile toward God, um, wicked work self is going to respond how? Bang! But you're going to grow and learn. And Jesus said what? Turn the other cheek. Hmm. 
And I just think, I said, this probably doesn't really come into reality too much for you in slaps, but it does come into it when the person says something to you, that you look at that and you go, that's just like a slap. I'm not getting killed here. I'm not getting beat up. I'm not going to respond in kind because I'm a Christian. You see? So you want to start responding to life like a Christian. Okay, so the second thing he says here is this idea of being grounded and steadfast in your faith. And so you want to become increasingly grounded and steadfast. The word grounded has to do with the idea of a foundation. Okay, that there's a foundation here. And maybe we're going to shore up the foundation, fill in the foundation. And so we keep, well, I'll tell you about that more in a minute. Steadfast is the idea of we've settled our morality We've settled, again, that Jesus is Lord. We've settled those kinds of things. We're steadfast in it. Um, and so this means digging deeper into your relationship with Christ. This is where you spend time with the Lord and maybe you're driving today or you're walking someplace or you lay down tonight and, and you think, God, am I really holy? You really see me as holy, God? I, help me to understand it because I know what I did today and yesterday. How am I holy, God? And I admit to you, those things aren't wrong, right? But, and, and you grow, and, 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 you, and then you finally say, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Digging deeper into your relationship with Christ, and then connecting in meaningful ways with your church family. That's part of God's plan. You can't do this life on your own. You can't live the Christian life on your own. It's only to a point. You're going to miss out. You've got to have that. And then consistent Christian living over time will help you to be more grounded, more steadfast. And this sounds kind of strange, but you know what it means? It means that you got to put in the time. You got to put in the time. That means today. You work on this. You don't get it perfect. You work on it. You learn. Tomorrow, you work on it and learn. Maybe on, on Tuesday, you have a really bad day. Okay? But you learn and you grow and you keep moving toward the Lord and you, it becomes a, an ongoing, and after a week, a month, a year, a decade, multiple decades. The Apostle Paul, in, in talking to the Galatians, spoke of the law of sowing and reaping. The law of sowing and reaping. And he used it in a positive way. We usually think of sowing and reaping as what? If you do that bad thing, you're going to reap the result. You know, it's the crops coming in. But Paul used it here to encourage people. He says, don't be weary in well-doing. Keep working at it. Keep growing. You're sowing good seed and you will reap the results of it. I have been saved for 47 years now. And I've sinned way too many times. And far too many times I've, you know, not lived by God's wisdom. But I've kept after it with the Lord. And worked and grown. And I got to tell you today, I can't even imagine walking away from the Lord. This idea of losing your faith. I, I don't even know what you're talking about. I mean, I understand the words. It's just, it doesn't make sense to me. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot. Evan, you're still awake? How old are you now? How old are you now? 72. How long have you known the Lord, do you think? 50 plus. Have you found this to be true? That as you go on, longer you go with the Lord, the more settled it becomes in your life. Yeah. And can you imagine walking away from it now? No. All right, so this is the way we, we can get to, but it, it takes time. 
You've got to put in the time and you're making a decision, which leads us to this third one, and that's choosing not to move away from your faith, okay? Choosing not to. Because guess what? You're still going to have questions. I still got questions I don't have answers to, but I'm just not very bothered by it anymore because I know God. I know him and what he's like. And, and so I don't know the answer. It's kind of like, well, big deal, Walt. You don't know the answer. God knows the answer. And we become like Job. Think of what happened to Job. All the negative things and hard things that God let come into his life. And he says this, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And this was right in the middle of him saying, God, what's the deal? Why are you letting this happen in my life? And then, well, you know, I think about it. Even if it kills me, I'm going to trust him. Okay, God, but what's the deal? <laughs> but you see where, where he was at? And the same when, when the disciples, the, on, in John chapter 6, Jesus was talking about, he was teaching them some symbolic stuff, but people couldn't figure that out. He's talking about eating his body, drinking his blood, that have eternal life and his spiritual truths and all this kind of stuff. And a bunch of people said, this is hard. And they faded away. They backed out and left. It says many left. Okay, so then in John chapter 6, go ahead and go to that. Jesus says to them, do you also want to go away? He says to the disciples, do you also want to go away? It says, but Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And if we could have interviewed Peter, do you understand what Jesus is saying? No. <laughs> you understand those teachings? No. Do they seem hard? Yeah, a little bit. So why don't you leave too? Well, where in the world would I go? The Lord has the answers, right? He, he has the words of eternal life. He, I'm going to trust him. And this is where in our lives, when you come along and those things happen in your life that are devastating, and you, 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 you know, it doesn't make sense to you, and, and you're tempted to ask God, why are you letting this happen? Well, God's already told us he let it happen because he's going to conform you to the image of Christ. But nonetheless, you've got to make decisions. Am I going to throw up my hands and walk away or not? But I want to ask you, where are you going to go? You throw up your hands and walk away. What are you going to that's better? There isn't anything. Someone says, I stopped believing in God because this happened. And now what do you have? Now I have no meaning. Now this terrible stuff that happened really is meaningless, right? I mean, it's, I'm starting on a second sermon. I'll stop there. All right, so how are you going to keep moving in the right direction? Continuing in your faith. Being increasingly grounded and steadfast and then choosing not to move away from your faith. So I really want to challenge you to examine your life today. See where you're at. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you need that. And if you have questions about that, let us help you. If you have that settled, just think about your life and all these things we've talked about and answer this question. What direction are you headed in life? And then make whatever decisions you need to make to get on the right track. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's so practical. Thank you that these theological truths, Lord, aren't just abstract, but they make a difference in our lives. And I pray you would work in our hearts and minds and help us to see that. And maybe as we fellowship with each other to, to learn more about it, Lord, so we can live these things out into our lives. And Lord, please keep 
asking us, keep reminding us, keep pointing out to us about where our lives are headed. Not just in eternity, but today and tomorrow and the next. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, God bless you. Head out in the right direction. I'm going to leave here today.